This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Humane Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. This is Professor Christoph Lutzger. Professor Christoph Lutzger and I did not get to meet in person, but we met through a shared network in New York City. He's been part of a fantastic forum called the Future Forum on Demystifying Artificial Intelligence that took place in late 2019. And his acting role today is the director of the TUM Institute for Ethics in Artificial Intelligence out of Germany. Christoph, thanks for being with us. Nice to meet you, David. Hi. Yeah, it's great to meet and love to first start off to hear about the future form that you ran with a lot of researchers in Brooklyn back in November 2019. What were some of the takeaways or aha moments that, that you learned from that form? It was a great mix of speakers, both from Germany and Europe in general, as well as from the US. And uh, and it was very interesting and a kind of unique experience for me to to see this interaction on the topics and uh, and also to see how much common ground we actually we have on on these issues. So I think this was really a nice conference, and hopefully we'll see more of these. Excellent. And, you know, I think we can say both in New York and in Germany and in the EU, there's so many conferences and events going around AI today. I mean, every topic, whether we think of bias or ethics or inclusion or responsibility or human centered, so much is emerging. There's never been so many conferences, but they don't always lead to actions and policy and regulations. Prior to recording this episode, we talked about you have some next steps from the future forum, some ideas that emerged. So what are those looking like in 2020? 
Yes, on the Future Forum, we developed the idea of forming uh, a kind of a global network of centers for AI ethics. And uh, the end of this forum, we launched the idea of not just an idea, but a concrete project, the Global AI Consortium, which we are now taking forward in order to form a kind of global alliance of centers working in this field. And uh, so we are in talks, for example, with Carnegie Mellon University, with um, a university in Singapore, as well as others in Asia, Australia, and, and elsewhere. And we hopefully will develop this further during this year and, and the ones to come, since I th believe th these are issues that we can just that we can only deal with globally and the emergence of or the re-emergence of ai in the last few years has sparked a lot of conversation and a lot of your work is around universities and research and policy but what we're starting to see especially in the united states is public private partnerships where it's not just research with universities like in new york nyu and columbia or the government like the small business administration but we're seeing where the city's jumping in with companies. So for example, uh, New York recently launched the Responsible AI Center. And so they're doing, it sounds similar to the work that you're mentioning, where they're partnering with big companies, they're partnering with researchers and institutes to say, not just for New York, but for everyone, we want to do responsible AI. So I wanted to hear your take on how do you think, what are some of these best practices for setting up centers in major cities like Munich and New York? Yeah, I think this is important to see when when we opened uh, our institute and it was actually just uh, launched officially in uh, last October. But when we developed it during the last year, the most important point was that it's not just an academic thing. It's not just a traditional research institute where you do research behind closed doors, basically. But, but you have to work with both uh, well, industry, with civil society, and with, with politics. And, and that's the only way to take these, these uh, issues forward. So I think this is uh, quite an important takeaway for other centers uh, who are being set up about these topics as well around the globe. Well, for example, Oxford University is just now uh, launching a new institute for ethics in AI, which is actually which has the same name and also is a. Uh, will be modeled um, it, uh, actually uh, after our center in Munich. This one will be financed by this uh, Schwarzman grant for this case. So um, I think this is something important to have this collaboration and these new forms of partnership in mind because ultimately it will be the big companies who will be implementing uh, these uh, rules and uh, whatever norms and standards. It's interesting to think that, especially in the United States, when we look back at technology, a lot of the breakthrough success we saw around internet and around different devices started with our government. It started with DARPA. It started with these military initiatives going back decades. And now, just as you mentioned, Christoph, it's gone to the private sector. It's the big companies that are inspiring innovation. And in the US, DARPA now invests in the big companies. They invest in the startups because they realize the pace of innovation has picked up so much. As someone like myself, who's a data scientist and AI practitioner, it's almost impossible to keep up with all the new packages and all the new use cases coming out. I, I know just at the end of 2019, there was the NeurIPS conference in Vancouver, Canada, around transfer learning and NLP and, and new technologies used around automation and better recognizing certain patterns. 
And it's incredible to see that over 10,000 people attended the conference and they had requests for thousands of papers. And for someone like yourself, who's been in research, academia, and industry well beyond 2012 with that revival of research with DeepMind and Google and seeing this, I mean, what are you seeing as trends in the industry today around this revival, this resurgence? You know, have we hit, do you think, an inflection point? Yes, this is quite interesting to talk about since uh, when I'm discussing this with colleagues here in, in Munich, especially those from computer science and uh, who have been professors of computer science, something AI related for decades. And they say, well, we have been working on in this field for so many years, but no one was really interested in it. And and well, why is this suddenly such a big fuss? And um it's hard to say. It's, I mean, certainly uh, more these systems are more and more visible to the public. And that's why, why I think there's also this discussion about AI and the ethical as well as um, governance aspects of it. I mean, certainly the trend is now uh, or has been already for years of obviously the machine learning and deep learning aspect of AI, which some of the more conservative colleagues still refuse to call real AI, something which I, I think does not really make much sense. But yes, you cannot convince. So for a long time, the idea has been that there will be something like a more robot-like, like a uh, systems that are out there in the world and doing certain things. I mean, at some point, of course, there, these things will be there, but uh, I think for the years to come, uh, the immediately ahead, this will not be the major thing, but it will be um, rather systems that are built into some which are on the computer, on your device, in your clothes, and in your glasses, whatever, wherever. and things that are basically just invisible uh, in this sense. But I think this is the major trend. And of course, the implementation into especially vehicles and probably also in the field of health. I would say these are the most important uh, trends for the near future. One of the comments you just mentioned so interesting about glasses and AI. I know we're both uh, glasses users. And I think one of the things is only natural for a human is we try to avoid surgery unless we need to. So I'm like one of those proponents who says, I will never do LASIK or Contura or eye surgery unless I really need to. But I've done some research in that space, and it's so interesting to see that these new eye surgery techniques are now using smart tracking of uh, the pupil and the wavelengths of the cornea and, and now becoming AI-powered. So I think we're seeing, as you mentioned, the emergence of AI in healthcare, and I think that's um, space that could do a lot of great benefit for all of humanity. In your experience, what are you seeing in the healthcare arena or why do you think AI is a great opportunity in healthcare? I believe that AI systems can both speed up a lot of processes as well as create entirely new ones or, or let's say connect data. You might say this is just big data applications or not really AI, but I don't care about that. But they will provide a lot of new input for doctors and even if it's not just a robot or um, some small system performing remote surgery that we will also have but we will have many more and we are to some extent we already do um, have um, systems which inform doctors about about patient data and allow them to to get a much clearer picture of, of a patient or 
One example that I always like to pick up um, is uh, early recognition of cancer and the scanning of pictures of cancer cells is something that AI now can has been officially declared can now do better than any human doctor. Until some maybe even one, one or two years ago, it was still common sense that AI was good, but experienced doctors were, were better. And this has now been been reversed actually. And I think this so it, we are and will more and more be at a point where we can say it's it's not it's not responsible anymore not to use AI. That is such a powerful statement. You know, we will be at the point where we'll no longer be responsible not to use AI. So as you just said in healthcare, you know, if we're getting higher accuracy prediction recall rates with the AI systems, then doctors can focus on better patient care. And of course, there could be processes and checks and balances in place where you know, humans are auditing the scans that AI believe in results to make sure, you know, type one and type two errors are minimized. But it's going to be, we're getting to the point where we'll no longer be responsible not to use AI. And that's not just in healthcare, that's across industries. And I know one of the big industries you've been doing work around is with autonomous vehicle ethics. And we've seen a lot of progress in the last few years, uh, particularly in Silicon Valley and parts of US and also in Europe, mostly around now these little mini self-driving cars that deliver a can of Pepsi soda or a sandwich. But now there's autonomous buses, there's autonomous trolleys, there's different systems coming into place. What are you seeing that's happening in the autonomous vehicle or AV space? Yes, I think there are a number of processes that are underway. Um, so what you just mentioned is mostly these smaller shuttle vehicles that move at a relatively slow speed, to some extent completely uh, remotely. On the other hand, what we have, well, we have these different levels of autonomous driving, automated, highly automated driving and fully automated driving. So what we are witnessing now is a progression on this level. So we have already a lot of assisted driving systems uh, built into a number of cars. We've had that for years now to some extent. And now the crucial point will be to get to, to the next level there. Some say it will only be interesting once we get to the level where a car can perform an, an entire journey on its own without a driver interfering. I think that would be definitely interesting to get there, and I think we will get there. But I think there are a number of steps on the way to that one. And so the level below that will be the driver does not always have to monitor the system officially, not just saying, well, it's your responsibility and, and see, uh, the, we are not responsible as a company. Well, that's what I mean. So we need to get beyond that level where it's actually, where the company is liable uh, during the time that the car was in control, well, not the driver. So the, this shift in liability, which will be quite important, and that will first be seen on parts of roads, part of, in Germany, of the Autobahn. And uh, there, I think we will make progress. And at some point, we will get to that level where a car can perform the entire journey on its own. And on the other hand, uh, progress will also now probably be made in the next years in the way that cars can uh, drive in this sometimes called unstructured way. 
So just uh, paying no attention basically to the traffic rules, the traffic signs, mm. of course, uh, to some extent not possible, but, but just uh, in, in very complicated environments, see how you can get on, how you can continue uh, your journey and of course very carefully. But the point is, the general point is, uh, it's an ethical point because in general, these cars would be able to save a lot of lives, avoid a lot of accidents. This would be an ethical goal in itself. And uh, But we can only reach that if we program certain rules into these cars. I think uh, you hit everything spot on, and particularly the two... Uh, things I think are most interesting is one unstructured, not a lot of attention goes into that space. We've you know seen the past couple of years, there's been a lot of demos, particularly with um, moving robots, you know, like Boston Dynamics parkour robot that can jump. And, and not only that, when it's hit with a baseball bat, it can get back up and get on task to collect the box or, or some sort of task. So that should be really interesting with a car, right? Like uh, we could just imagine that there's a hailstorm outside and the hail's hitting the window of the car. Can the car respond to send you into a parking garage or predict that? Yeah, we need to have robust cars. We need to have robust software, which must be able to drive under difficult, maybe not most extreme conditions. That that's If we want uh, to drive under any conditions, that will be difficult. And of course, it, it must be able to deal with, let's say, rain, with hail, with snow, at least light snow, maybe. And uh, that can pose a number of uh, difficulties, uh, also different ones around the globe. Uh, so I've heard that when these cars were tested in a city like Boston, for example, a huge problem was low-flying seagulls. And uh, they were apparently not, not always correctly detected. So the car stopped. Sure. And it sounds like that might be even a data problem. There have not been enough scenarios of low flying seagulls running amok around cars. But um, I think the recurring theme, as you've shared, is about saving accidents, improving lives. And when can we get to a parity point when it's not responsible not to use AI or basically you need to use AI? And um, although we're you know just talking high level on autonomous vehicles, You've done some research in this space, particularly around AI ethics and autonomous vehicles. And I know that you're on a commission that is similar to the high-level expert group on artificial intelligence from the EU commission, but you do work with the EU parliament. Why don't you tell us more about that? Yes. So this is an initiative uh, which was formed in 2018. Um, and it has been developed by the Atomium Institute, which is a Brussels Institute, and we presented our works in cooperation with the European Parliament several times. So it's a group of, it has a two, actually two levels. So there's an expert committee, there's the scientific committee, which I'm part of and uh, which comprises of, I think, around 15 experts. And there's a forum of where companies can engage and where a lot of major companies who are in the area, in this field of technology, are involved. Hey, Humane listeners. As we get ready for the 2020 elections, I know you are concerned about where we are headed as a nation. You might have even started looking for new reads to further respectful discussions among your circles. If that is you, I have got a great book to recommend. It's called For the People, 
A Citizen's Manifesto to Shaping Our Nation's Future by Simon Chadwick, and it's already available for you today. For the People communicates what a reinvented and reinvigorated America could look like to achieve national self-actualization. This book details the complexities of current American issues such as law and order, homelessness, the environment, the economy, education, health and wellness, and social security. This manifesto provides a roadmap to digest the practical steps America can take so that its people can live in. For the people examines what it means to belong and how a sense of security leads to well-being for the individual and society alike. You can grab your copy of For the People on Amazon today or visit simonchadwick.us to learn more about Simon. Again, that's simonchadwick.us. Simon, C-H-A-D-W-I-C-K dot U-S. And uh, we presented our first uh, guidelines for ethics of AI in late 2018 in the European Parliament. And we came up with these five ethical principles for AI, so which are beneficence, maleficence, uh, justice, autonomy, and while well, these four are quite standard uh, for ethics, the fifth one is quite interesting, the explicability uh, criterion. And so AI should be able to explain uh, results, at least in principle. And uh, yeah, so this was our first step. And the, 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 then we presented another paper on AI governance issues just recently, last November, and this was about how companies and states can interact on um, deriving rules and governance rules for these systems. In the future, we will be working in different thematical uh, subsections, uh, and I will be chairing the committee on uh, autonomous cars. That's very exciting to see how conversations and research papers from in 2018 are already in the span of a couple years materializing both with public and private sector and going from research papers to practices that very well could become policies or standards. And in my experience in the data science industry, you need standards and it helps uh, all researchers, it helps all scientists and helps the general public so that best practices are put forward. So what standards are you uh, imagining or working on around autonomous vehicles? So just recently, I was invited to be a part of a new group with the ITU, the International Telecommunication Union, one of the oldest standard-setting bodies in the world, and uh, which, for example, they developed the country codes for telephones. And um, we met uh, in, in January 2020 for the first time in London, and uh, we will be working in the next uh, years to develop uh, standards actually for autonomous driving. They are mostly people from the engineering side who are working in major companies, uh, who are working in research institutions and uh, also in the, in the government side of it. And uh, there are few people who have the expertise in, in ethics, actually. So I'm one of few ones there. And um, it will be quite interesting to see how this process works out. And because ultimately we will need to develop international standards for these uh, AVs as well. So it would be just wouldn't be workable if all countries came up with their own uh, standards. And the companies, the car manufacturers will actually demand to have these standards. 
It's amazing to think on standards, how progress happens. I continue to refer back to public-private partnership, but also in framing the conversation. And when we look at the work that has been done in the US and in Europe, a lot of the conversation has been around ethics. But I think it's so fascinating how in the past couple of years, the ethics conversation has shifted gear to the responsible conversation. It's almost as if ethics is being grouped into responsible. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems that they're going hand in hand. And now we're seeing responsible conferences and and forums because I think in my experience working with clients and companies, often ethics is very not that tangible. It's very tough to grasp. And when you think of responsible, you say, oh, yes, I see you're serving the client or you're causing more risk. What's your take on the ethics responsible dilemma? Yeah, actually, uh, we have had the same experience here. Ethics is quite um, a fuzzy term. It it has lots of connotations. And uh, for some people, it's about personal morality. And that's not really what we mean. We are um, aiming at standards or guidelines, rules, which are not always legal ones, but might be. So so it's uh, we found it also better to use the term responsible AI. And um, we have uh, also launched uh, this new conference which we will be holding in November in Munich. Uh, It's called the Responsible AI Forum which will be held in early November in Munich and uh, this will also be a conference not just the, the typical research academic conference but one where we plan to interact with other stakeholders from from industry from civil society from politics as well, there is actually um, if you, it's easy to find on the internet, and there is um, a call for papers out there and a call for proposals. So we invite everyone to take part in that. Right. So it's responsibleaiform.com. Responsibleaiform.com. If you're a researcher interested in submitting a paper or getting involved in this responsible AI topic, especially globally, what's the submission date to get one of these papers or peer-reviewed or, or submitted for consideration for the conference? So the submission deadline is 1st of May 2020. So, And we will invite abstracts on many areas of AI and ethics in a, in a general sense. So on our webpage, you find a lot of potential topics, whether it will be AI in, in the healthcare sector, AI in the and the SDGs, AI policy, AI diversity, and education, and many others. That's excellent. And so I'm definitely going to check it out. And who knows, maybe I'll submit a paper. It's going to take a lot of work to do. But if I feel passionate enough, uh, my work on one also. So, okay, doing a segue of topics, uh, there's a few other exciting things I know that you're working on. So being involved at uh, TUM, I believe there's a lot of new leadership there now. And there's a new work around human-centered AI, particularly in the U.S. We've been seeing that growth. You know, Stanford launched their high institute. Other universities in the U.S. are following suit. And you're actually coining it a different term. You're coining human-centered AI's human-centered engineering. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So this is a vision that uh, TUM will be implementing within the next year. So it's right. We have a new president here who has just taken office a couple of months ago. 
and um, he subscribes to this idea that uh, the engineering curriculum should be enriched with elements from humanities and social sciences, not least of which will be ethics. And uh, this is something that uh, actually when, when I speak about it and when I talk to colleagues, it always finds very positive resonance, uh, something that in the past has always, not always, but, but a couple of times already surfaced, but uh, never really picked up so much momentum but now with uh, with the focus in ai it becomes clearer that working on ai will not be enough to just uh, looking at it from a purely technical point of view uh, it needs to uh, generate the necessary trust otherwise people will just not use these systems and this is something that engineers should be familiar with engineers and computer scientists and other people from technology so implementing and enriching the curriculum with some of these elements to raise awareness, I think that will be an important issue. And we have, I should say, we have already uh, established a partnership with the IEEE, so the International uh, Association of Engineers, for uh, working on this curriculum of ethics for engineers. So how I see everything in the industry coming together, I see across a section between the responsible AI conversation, the human-centered engineering conversation, and the explainable AI conversation. And we've touched on the first two so far today, responsible and human-centered. But if we jump back to the use case earlier in our conversation on healthcare and cancer detection and, and how we're reaching human-level parity through the AI, the big question also becomes not just what is ethical and responsible, not what is human in the loop and human-centered, but how explainable is the system? Do you think explainable systems is the missing piece that is going to be solved in the next couple of years or new packages are going to come about or there's going to be a, a standard set about on this is how you should build explainable AI systems so you can gain traction around policy, product and people? Yes, I think that one of the key challenges will be how we manage to some extent standardize explainability of course, from a traditional point of view, people like to say, well, this is a black box. Uh, we don't know what it does. And on the other hand, when I talk to, for example, lawyers sometimes, they say, well, every step within the system must be transparent mm -hmm. and it must be clearly, must be able to track it down. Of course, that's also no, there's no way to do that if you are familiar with the technology. So we need to find some kind of middle way and there is this research field of explainable AI in computer science. And the challenge will be to implement systems and, for example, interfaces for different types of users, which do not explain every step and every result. We will probably be, never be able to do that. But at least in principle, explain some of the results and some of the factors that influence certain results of an AI process. And then it will be interesting to see what does it mean explainable? Explainable for whom? Does it mean for the end user? Some systems probably will have to be for the end user, but in, in others it might be for, uh, let's say, for a doctor who uses the AI system for collecting the data and arriving at some general picture about the patient and so on. So there will be a, a number of steps here to take in the next years and will be quite interesting. Well, it sounds like between the topics we've covered today from responsible AI, 
human-centered engineering, and explainable AI, there's a lot of work to be done, but a lot of the conversations are now being had. And perhaps that's a result of the tech industry being so interested to deploy systems very quick without seeing the impact. But as we've learned in tech over the many years, if you don't launch, if you don't try to break things, you don't get to move forward. And sometimes the policymakers, the regulators, the governance are not happy about that. But um, we do make progress quicker. Sometimes we take some steps back, as we've seen around facial recognition implementation, both in Europe and the US. You know, lately there's been some steps back. And I think that's fair. I think that's good for building the right systems, making sure there's data privacy, it's ethical, it's responsible, all these, all these parts. So I think everything time will tell uh, as systems mature and get rolled out. I'm very excited about the work you're doing uh, with autonomous vehicles and the space. I think these committees sound phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to these new forms like the Responsible AI Forum. And Christoph, really appreciate you for taking the time to join uh, the audience today on Humane Podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.